Driven by excellence, your trusted place for all things logistics and road safety. Today we are joined by James Evans, the founder and managing director of First Car, an organisation that publishes over 2 million safe driving magazines each year. Add this to a phenomenal amount of digital content James has created for road safety partnerships and commercial businesses. You will be hard pressed to find a road safety professional who has not come across the resources produced by James and his team. Today, we'll learn more about James and look to future innovations and creativity in road safety. James, thank you so much for joining us today. So I think the best place to start is with an introduction for our listeners. Let us know who you are, what positions you've held, and how long you've been connected to road safety. Okay, well, my name is James Evans. I started First Car when I was 18 in school, uh, a lot longer ago than I'd like to think about now. And I've pretty much done that ever since. We've branched off into different areas of road safety, and we've done lots of different stuff, which hopefully we'll talk about today. But that's pretty much been my life for the last 20 years. Wow, 18 so young to go into something like that. That's expansive career. Can we delve more into how you first became interested into road safety? Can you let me know what the trigger for you was to start First Car? Yeah, absolutely. And to be honest, it's nothing to do with road safety. I was 18. Myself and all my friends were spending vast sums of money on driving lessons, first cars, insurance. A lot of us were having pranks. And there just wasn't a good, solid, reputable source of information and advice. The internet was in its early days, in the very early 2000s. And uh, first car originally was a B2C proposition. It was the idea that we would create a website where young people could come for information and advice about all things learning to drive. And if we could shave a few percent off you know, the vast sums of money that were changing hands for that journey of getting on the road, we could all make a few quid and retire by mm-hmm. 30. And, and this year, that's 10 years ago. So you can see that that never worked. Um, and actually, the pivot into road safety came because we discovered that competition on Google organic search was quite uh, quite fierce, particularly for young driver car insurance. We just weren't ranking. So we thought we'll produce a magazine called First Car that will get us into schools and colleges, and that will advertise the website, and it will be a very sort of ninja, uh, guerrilla way of getting people connected with the site. And as it turned out, a couple of road safety teams saw this magazine, called me up and said, we love it. You know, this could have a really good uh, sort of road safety impact. You know, can we buy some? And I said, yeah, sure. How many do you want? Expecting they'd say 20, 30. They said, well, how much for 5,000 copies? And I thought, there's a business here. So my next question was, how many of you are there? And um, they said, well, about 160 local authority road safety teams, 40 fire services, 40 police forces. This was in the days of LASOA, the Local Area Road Safety Officers Association, which predates RSGB. So I just went through the the contact list. Mm -hmm. You know, their website had every phone number on. I just blitzed the list. And, you know, before we knew it, First Car was kind of born as a road safety magazine for young drivers. Uh, And luckily so, because the B2C, you know, wasn't paying the bills. Clearly, you have a great passion to help improve safety for all road users with the education of young drivers at the forefront of what you do. In your view, what more could be done to ensure young drivers keep safe out on the road? Yeah, I mean, young drivers are a hot topic uh, and have been, uh, and that's not going to change. I think there's a lot that can be done. You know, we've got some of the safest roads in the world, and I do think there's a balance between uh, restricting young driver freedoms and interventions like that and the benefit, obviously, in reduced KSIs because, you know, the boomers have had all the money. My generation have had, you know, a lot of opportunity. And then you've got the Gen Z is kind of coming through now and they've got, you know, the high interest rates, they've got the high house prices. Uh, Oh, and, you know, we want to restrict their freedoms and their mobility, you know, when they come through the driving journey. And of course, I'm talking about GDL uh, or some sort of graduated system in relation to that. 
you know, we could impose a 10 o'clock curfew for everyone and there wouldn't be any street violence in the evening, you know, uh, but is the is that price kind of worth that benefit? So I do think we have to be very careful about it. And I defer to people like Dr. Sean Hellman, who have done extensive research on this uh, for, from TRL and other, you know, academic peers. But I think the evidence is quite clear that if we impose some sort of non-draconian extended learning, mm. then a lot of young lives could be saved. And perhaps people like, you know, us, um, who are not necessarily experts, but sort of in the industry, are perhaps better to advise on that than young people who really are just concerned at that moment more about their freedom and um, their opportunity than their relative safety. So yeah, but maybe starting younger, maybe starting at 16, um, and, and, and just extending that learning to drive process. We already know that if you uh, do 100 hours of uh, private practice and professional lessons over a full 12 month period, and that can make you a lot safer. Mm. Um, so it doesn't have to be years and years, but in other countries, it's worked well. That's really interesting. And just staying on the topic of young drivers, we can't invite you to the studio today without asking you about your involvement in The Honest Truth. Many of our listeners would have heard our podcast episode with former Sergeant Ollie Taylor. Now, we know you guys have collaborated over the years. Can you talk us a bit through that? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I've got um, nothing to do with the the origins of Honest Truth. That, that kicked off down in the southwest with Ollie and, and some colleagues from the local authority and, and the fire service many years ago now. And it was following a, 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 a fatal road collision involving some young people. And, and I think the genius of, of what they did in those early days was identify driving instructors as an underutilized route to market for road safety messages that aren't typically covered as part of the learning to drive process. And I mean, Ollie's quite a force of nature, as, as everyone who's heard the podcast or knows him personally will know. And uh, with Rebecca and Rob, they took this thing out nationally and, and, and gathered huge support from the road safety community, a lot of funding. It uh, was so successful, it got uh, charity status. They, they went through incorporating a board uh, and everything. And then I think, you know, they won't mind me saying their jobs changed. You know, they were so he was a serving police officer. Rob was in the fire service, Rebecca was in the local authority. And actually when their kind of core hours got cut down, I think more towards 2018, 2019, it struggled to maintain the momentum. Mm. And um, in 2019, they made the decision to close the charity. I think they'd done you know, some, some phenomenal work and it's such a shame that there wasn't funding coming from one of the bigger government bodies or NGOs. But effectively, they offered it to First Car and said, would you like to take this on? I said, yes, we incubated it. COVID hit and um, we, we've sort of kept it warm through that. And then, you know, in a, in a, in a great twist of fate, Ollie retired from the police a couple of months ago mm -hmm. and has agreed to come back and lead Honest Truth under the first car banner. And he's already, you know, a couple of months, three months in, making huge waves. Uh, we put some structure around the delivery of Honest Truth. I think it was a great campaign. I mean, it perhaps initially lacked some of the behavioral science or some of the structure that would provide an audit trail behind it to perhaps at some point prove evidentially that it was effective at improving attitude and behavior. I think we've, you know, we've been able to help with that. And I'm quite excited to see with our backing what Ollie can achieve over the next year or so. Thanks, James. And just as a little overview for our listeners, can you just explain what The Honest Truth is? Absolutely. So The Honest Truth is effectively a, a road safety campaign delivered by driving instructors. It's based on 10 truths. That includes a fatal four, but also things like vulnerable road users, insurance, you know, other, other important road safety topics. And the idea is at the beginning of every lesson, the instructor sits down 
and dedicates two minutes to uh, showing the learner a video on one of those 10 truths. The learner watches it, well, the ADI does some paperwork, and then that's the theme of discussion for the rest of the lesson. Um, so as they're driving along, if, they've been, if the theme of that day is vulnerable road users, perhaps when they come across a cyclist or they come to a pedestrian crossing, they can start to you know, eke out conversation about their views on that particular road safety topic. And of course, the honest truth is great because in this age of fake news and you know, snowflaking people, we mm -hmm. believe that, that young people can, you know, can take the truth, they can handle the truth. And uh, if it's discussed properly, it can go a long way to changing attitudes uh, and social norms. Absolutely. And just as a little spoiler for our listeners, we will be having Ollie back into the studio. So look out for that episode. So with The Honest Truth, I actually read a couple of weeks ago that The Honest Truth has launched a mobile app for driving instructors. What is the purpose of this application and what does it aim to do? Yeah, that's an excellent question. So obviously, when First Car took over Honest Truth, one of the first things that we wanted to do was provide, uh, put a structure around it. So I think up until that point, it had been a, a fantastic campaign, but one that very much relied on driving instructors delivering it in their own way. There's mm -hmm. nothing wrong with that. Driving instructors are very, very highly trained and you know most of, are very capable of, of doing that. But it makes it very difficult to evaluate at the other end because everyone has received it in a different way. So what we did is we came up with a, a truth pack that had the 10 truths in it. And this is what um, instructors would give the learners to read uh, at the beginning of the lesson on, on each topic. They would then have a loyalty card, coffee shop loyalty card style truth card, so that we could track learners' progress through it. Basically a way of, of making sure as many learners as possible get all 10 truths. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the information that they receive is as structured as possible, notwithstanding the fact the conversation with the instructors is all going to be very different. The trouble with that is there's a lot of paper, there's a lot of things to lose, there's a lot of work for the driving instructors who are already incredibly busy. So the mm -hmm. idea of the app is to do nothing more than make that a more enjoyable process. It's to manage learners' progress through the truths to provide that audit trail, but also so that we could turn the booklet into two-minute truth videos, which uh, are obviously much more engaging than reading text on a page. And how do you think that's been received so far by the learners and by the driving instructors? Well, it's only gone live in the last two weeks, so I don't know the answer to that question. <laughs> but having seen it myself, I think it's a step change. And yeah, it also allows us, you know, strategically the ability to scale in a way that perhaps paper, you know, not notwithstanding the environmental impact of it, we just didn't have visibility with paper. We had to put a lot in trust. Mm -hmm. um, but with the app, we actually have a full audit trail, which makes things very, very easy to evaluate outputs yeah. and outcomes as well. That's fascinating. And I really hope the engagement grows and continues to grow because it does sound very beneficial. Our listeners by now will be picking up on how multifaceted you are, and I understand you're also instrumental in setting up the Ice Hub. We understand this is focused on the creation and sharing of virtual reality experiences. Can you explain what Ice stands for and what this aims to do? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the ICE Hub, or ICE stands for uh, Immersive Community Education. And that first came about in 2015 when Paul Spate just retired from Leicestershire Fire and Rescue Service. And I were at an RSGB conference having a beer in the bar, sort of 11.30, as all good ideas start. And he he and I were having a little bit perhaps of a pop at, at crash cars, these cars that have small sort of hydraulic systems built in. Uh, they black out all the windows, put kids in the car and have a collision sequence displayed on a small screen at the front. We said it's a good idea, but wouldn't it be better if it was, you know, much more immersive? And at this point, you know, VR, you know, the Oculus stuff or the Gear VRs were starting to come in. And we said, would it would it even be possible to not black out the windows, but to put a headset on everyone in the car 
and show them a 360 video experience. That way everyone that's queuing up to come in can see their reactions from outside the car. It would be much better at getting people's interest. And also everyone would have their own quite unique experience. I think it would block out their friends where you get kind of get that eye, eye rolling and, mm-hmm. and, 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 and stuff. And they're all kind of looking at each other to work out whether this is cool or not. Yeah. And invariably it isn't cool enough. So, you know, this provides that connection. And 360 video, it was pretty early stages. It was the time when people were connecting lots of GoPros together on elaborate rigs to create this sphere. Now, I think this is really genius of, of Paul, because in, in road safety, we're not always very good at doing this, but he took a risk. He said, look, I've got a bit of underspend. We're going to do a pilot. We're going to create a film. Uh, I, I'd produced a lot of 2D film to that point, but never anything in 360. So I knew, I knew how to produce, but not in that format. And between us, we we made, I think, the UK's first virtual reality road safety film. And critics would say, well, there was a lot of blood and it was all very gratuitous and, and, and stuff. And I think looking back, it's easy to have that view. But what it did is it went global. It was captivating enough to, to, to really build a following or, or, or interest in 360 or immersive education. And what we've been able to do from that is set up the ICE Hub and capture lots of people that are interested in delivering um, virtual reality in this way. And, and the other three quarters of a million pounds worth of film that's been produced since then, we have learned from you know behavioral scientists and through data and research. And in fact, the most recent film we've done, The Older Drivers film with, with Rob Hurd, which was crowdfunded by iSub members, the evaluation is now coming back with statistically significant results in terms of behavior change. Um, incredible. Just because one thing was a bit gratuitous and was a bit of a, you know, was a bit of a wild card doesn't mean that everything else is going to follow in that thread. Um, I think that's a good lesson for us all. Yeah, definitely. So just for fun, I'm going to throw you a best guess question. So when I think about virtual reality and simulators, I think about Formula One drivers who spend hours and hours in a simulator learning the layout of the racetrack or gain information on how the car is set up, etc. Would you see a time when learner drivers sit their driving test in a simulated immersive fashion? That's a really excellent question. Um, and interestingly, we've just been doing a project with Open University using the Vario XR3 headset, which um, costs about £8,000, but it's actually 4K. Um, so you can read at arm's length a sheet of paper. This is what pilots can do um, their flight hours in or a certain number of flight hours in. It's such high fidelity. Fighter pilots are trained with this. So I'm not doubting that it's it's possible from a technical perspective to do it and do it well. I think, as we know, a lot of the problems um, with young driver collisions is nothing to do with skill. It's Mm. all to do with attitude. So I suppose that only if that format can be used to improve behaviours. So, you know, removing distractions, um, you know, dealing with challenging situations that they won't encounter on their driving test. I'm not entirely convinced that there's much benefit from a a skills perspective. We know from skid pan training, it's a good idea. The idea that you might be able to control a skid, but actually all that does is leave people with a false sense of confidence that in five years time, when you do encounter a skid, you may have the skills to deal with it. And of course you don't, you probably don't a week after driving out of there. Mm. So even though we may be able to show people challenging or complex situations, if you don't encounter those on a regular basis and you're not constantly refreshed in training, I think it would have limited benefit. But where it could have benefit is for ongoing training, which mm. is the real thing that we're missing for young drivers. I think the driving test standard is absolutely fine. I don't think there's anything wrong with young drivers coming out of their driving test. But I think the idea that that is their golden ticket and then everything after that is just, you know, it's just experience is shortchanging them. Mm. You know, this this continual learning and safe driving for life 
uh, has a place and I think simulators could play a real part in that. And just keeping on the educational material, let's discuss Copilot, which if I'm correct, is an accessible library of high quality training material. It's been mentioned in media that you think of Copilot as the Netflix or Disney Plus of the road safety world. Please, can you give our listeners an overview of the initiative and describe what sort of content Copilot will host and how will this be accessed? Yeah, absolutely. So Copilot's really exciting. It's, you know, 20 years after First Car was a startup, Copilot's a startup. We're going through all this again, but with the, you know, the experience and the Rolodex that we're, we're really fortunate to have now. Yes, you're right. Copilot we see as the Disney Plus or the Netflix of road safety, education, training and publicity. Because for 20 years, we've gone around the country producing very, very similar initiatives using public money for lots of different organisations. And the one striking thing is there's very little difference between them. There's a lot of people doing excellent work in fire services, in police, like PDT, in the commercial uh, fleet world, in the insurance sector. But a lot of the time, they've got a lot of knowledge, they've got a lot of market access, and they've got a lot of credibility. What they lack is content. Mm. What they lack is the tools to do these jobs effectively, because creating an intervention, be it a video, be it um, any learning package, printed resources, you know, communications, whatever it is, it's expensive to do well. And there's very limited benefit to having something Northumberland-specific or Cambridge-specific. There's definitely a lot of evidence that says specific types of road users. We know that South Asian communities have a higher chance of being involved in collisions when not wearing a seatbelt. Mm-hmm. Evidence shows that. And I know that Nicola Wasset-Somo has done some excellent uh, campaigning you know, for those sort of niche demographics. But generally speaking, road safety ETP uh, can be location agnostic. So Copilot really wants to make a central investment in building a library of education, training and publicity that can be co-branded and used by road safety professionals across the country. And for that, they pay a subscription rather than this kind of boom and bust of creation and depreciation. You spend 50 grand on a film, then you depreciate it over three years and then you do it all again. Because road safety teams have got lots of competing priorities. We've got micromobility, e-scooters are an emerging issue, young drivers will always be an issue, got an aging population, older drivers are an issue. And budgets are finite, so you, you, you kind of have to pick which one you're going to create materials for, but not with Copilot. You pay your subscription and you can access a bit of everything. Although I will caveat that and say that, you know, we're in our early adopter phase. We're building a quarter of a million pounds worth of road safety ETP before the end of this year, half a million before the end of next year, and a million the year after. So, you know, we're, we're, we're putting our money where our mouth is, mm-hmm. um, but this stuff is going to take time to to build and we're very reliant on our early adopters to help influence what that content should be. So when we think about road safety content, can you tell us what's involved in shooting a road safety film? It's understood you need a script, actors, camera operatives, sound engineers, but how are all of these elements put together to create an effective and an engaging product? What's the secret? Goodness me, that's the million dollar question. I mean, this is the one Potential criticism of Copilot is actually in in road safety, one of the most enjoyable parts of the job, I think, is actually creating uh, the content. So we're not trying to take that away from people with Copilot. We want them to be very involved in the process. But it's a miracle when you think what a pain in the ass it is to really create content that people have that view. As you say, you've got casting, you've got script development, you've got location scouting, you've got permit, you know, all the legal aspects of it, which are very, very expensive to do properly. But bottom line is you've got to have a storyboard and a, and a concept that um, is effective at doing the thing that you want it to do. And that needs to be based on data, needs to be based on behavioral science. You know, one of the questions 
that I always ask is, how are you going to deploy it? Mm-hmm. You know, is it going to be shown on big screens? Is it going to be shown on small screens? That makes a huge difference. Is this going to be a very personal experience that people have on their own? Or is it going to be a shared experience where they're looking around the room at other people? How do you want people to feel when they stop watching the film, if it's a film, but even mm-hmm. if it's a printed document, even things like color palette, iconography, you know, incredibly important. But I think the main thing is is authenticity. That in the older driver film that we've just done, you know, Rob Hurd, who presents it and runs the older drivers forum, just retired from a long career in the police, and he's starting to talk about his own awareness of how his skills that were once, you know, he was uh, on royal protection duties on motorcycles, and actually how they're starting to deteriorate with age and actually it puts it you know chills on your on Mm. on your arm because it's a very authentic presentation of how we age um so i think making that connection connections everything with any type of intervention thank you james and let's take a look into the future for you for just a minute as an influential creative force within the road safety industry, what lies ahead for James Evans? <laughs> I think anyone's ever said that before. That's uh, <laughs> very kind of you. But um, yeah, we're really committed to continuing the great work we've started with First Car, with Honest Truth, with Ice Hub, the Young Driver Focus event, the Ice Live event, uh, everything that we do under the First Car banner. Obviously, Late Starter Group now does all the, the video production that we've kind of built up. And Copilot, in all honesty, I just think there's very, <laughs> very little on the horizon beyond those for certainly the short to medium term. Copilot's a huge project. Mm-hmm. I mean, Copilot could go international, it could pivot into health. So, uh, yeah, I think, um, yeah, building nearly £2 million worth of content is going to keep me busy uh, for the foreseeable. <laughs> but we've got an amazing team. We've got Simon Rule, who's ex head of road safety for Ensure the Box, Dr. Elizabeth Box, who a lot of listeners will know as our, you know, consultant behavior change scientist. You know, we're, we're working with some amazing people, some phenomenal early adopters, and it feels like a really exciting uh, new season. So I'm just kind of keen to get stuck into that, to be honest. I can imagine. James, it's been so educational for us in the studio, and I'm sure our listeners feel exactly the same. But before I can let you go, can we ask you to share some insights for our listeners that they could take away from today? Let's go for three tips on how parents can keep their young drivers safe on UK roads. Oh, okay. The three things I would say is one, do private practice as mm-hmm. much as you can. Even if you've got a lovely car and you don't want it scratched or you perhaps don't have a good relationship with you know, a teenager for whatever reason, just see the opportunity, not the obligation. I would can't stress this enough. They must, 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 must practice what they've been learning in lessons. It has a you know, huge impact on their likelihood of being involved in a collision. So get the right insurances, figure out a way to do it, come up with lesson plans, make an agreement, whatever it happens to be, but for goodness sake, do it and and do lots of it. Mm. The other thing is is get the best car you can afford. And if that means cancelling two summer holidays for, for the next couple of summers, do it. You've got to get a car that's got good ADAS systems, things like forward emergency braking. I must admit, on a VR shoot, I've tried to run a stunt person over with a car that has forward uh, emergency braking. And you can't do it. I had to go and uh, raid a pub's kitchen for tinfoil, cover this radar, and only then could I run this stunt person over and roll them (laughs) over the bonnet. That's game-changing, you know, Mm. that kind of technology. So if you need to find – I know it's hard times at the moment, but, you know, if you can – Reprioritize. I would say prioritize the car. The other thing is a, tel- a telematics insurance policy. More than anything, it gives the young person an excuse not to drive fast if they're getting peer pressure. Say, look, I've got a telematics mm-hmm. box, uh, black box. It's going to cost me. If you want to give me 100 quid now, sure thing. I'll drive 100 miles an hour. No one's going to do that. Right. Um, so it's just about these little hooks. And all I'll say about the, those three things is that they're capital investments. Once you've done the private practice, it's done. Once you've bought the car, it's done. Once you've taken out the policy and had the box installed, it's done. 
rather than trying to plead with people or rely on them to make good decisions in the moment, you know, we're all human and that's sometimes hard. These are three capital investments that you can make upfront that will have a huge impact on their safety. And of course, everyone wants their kids to be, to be safe. Thanks so much, James. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Wow, that was great, wasn't it? So many takeaways for you, our listeners. Those three tips for keeping our young drivers safer were so impactful. So parents of young drivers, invest in keeping your teenagers safe on the road. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Driven by Excellence. We hope you enjoyed listening. And if you did, please don't forget to click that follow button, leave us a review or share this episode with a colleague. For more information and to keep up to date with industry news, head to our website, pdtfleettrainingsolutions.co.uk. Listener.